Hello, I'm Michelle Cahill, and this is Expert Q&A, a conversation focused on rethinking the American high school. Today, we're talking about student agency and engagement. This topic opens up two fascinating and important questions. How can young people take an active role in designing schools, and how can we shape the high school experience so that young people are truly empowered to take charge of their own learning? With us today are four guests who bring compelling perspectives to these questions. Travis J. Bristol is currently a research and policy fellow at the Stanford Center for Opportunity Policy in Education. Travis is a former high school English teacher in New York City Public Schools, teacher educator with the Boston Teacher Residency Program, and World Bank Consultant. Travis's dissertation on black male teachers' pathways into the profession, experiences, and retention was awarded fellowships from the National Academy of Education, Spencer Foundation, the Ford Foundation, and the American Educational Research Association. Zach Malamud is the founder and executive director of Student Voice, a for students by students nonprofit organization committed to integrating student voices into the global education conversation. Zach is a senior at the University of Maryland College Park, where he created a major in engagement and media. Eliza Jane Schaefer is a senior at Henry Clay High School in Lexington, Kentucky. She is the school governance chair on the Student Voice team which is part of the Pritchard Committee for Academic Excellence, a statewide education reform organization in Kentucky. Irma Zardoya is an expert in school design and improvement in urban education. She's currently the president and CEO of the New York City Leadership Academy, which specializes in preparing school leaders for the challenges of urban education in cities around the country and internationally. She has an extensive and distinguished career as an educator, having served as a bilingual teacher, a principal, a district superintendent, and a regional superintendent in Manhattan and the Bronx, where she played a key role in the development of newly designed innovative high schools. Irma has also served as an advisor to policymakers nationally and has taught in graduate education programs at Bank Street College and Long Island University. Welcome. At XQ, we believe that the voices of students should inform every aspect of the high school experience. Eliza Jane, why, in your view, is student voice essential? Students are closest to the problem. They're in school 35 hours or more every week. And so being closest to the problem, we can offer valuable advice on how to fix those problems. We can also call attention to problems that might escape the attention of teachers or adults in the building. For example, the Student Voice team recently conducted a Student Voice audit of a middle school in Kentucky. And Two-thirds of the students mentioned bullying as a major problem, and some even said it was a reason that they didn't come to school. But not a single teacher mentioned bullying in their surveys or interviews. The third reason is that it really allows a sense of ownership for students to feel like they are important to the education system and the education system is important to them. Zach, can you give some examples of where you've seen adults welcome student voice? I'm going to start with a personal story that goes back to my time in high school studying AP language and composition with Mr. Weinstein. In Mr. Weinstein's class, you're forced to engage in every minute of the class. He'll start off the class with a little bit of a lesson, but then afterwards, he told us to all bleed on paper. 
just write, write, write. Don't think about it, just write. We'd get to the point where we'd turn in our first draft, and then he would provide us with a grade, some feedback, and then he'd have a conversation with us. Of course, that piece of writing being a first draft was never our final grade. He gave us an opportunity to resubmit the assignment, but at the same time, have a conversation with him about how he could maybe do better in teaching that assignment and, and tailor the way he was teaching. Student feedback is certainly a really interesting and deep form of student voice. Irma, how do you build a school culture where students really take charge of their learning? What's the role of the school leader in establishing a culture like that? It really first comes down to who the leader is and whether the leader sees themselves both as learner and collaborator and what kind of environment does the leader set within the school that allows teachers to also feel empowered, teachers to also feel that they're learning throughout the process of teaching in the classroom. And once you develop that culture of understanding that you are an adult learner, then you begin to really understand your role as a teacher that enables students to also see their own roles as learners. It's really a culture that enables everyone from the leader to the teacher to the student to be able to participate in decision-making around what they're learning and what they're doing. Travis, can you give us some examples? I couldn't agree with Irma's point more around the importance of a teacher-learner. I think that before teachers can engage in the act of teaching, it's important that they do some learning. And by that, I mean teachers sort of must learn about students' lived experiences, and they must care and value that those experiences have a place in their curriculum. There are two teachers at a school in the Bay Area. Uh, I was recently in their classroom, Emily and Lenore, and they were doing a unit on immigration and storytelling. And they teach a large number of students who are immigrants, and they also teach a large number of European-American students. Their point was to help all students in their classroom understand that they had an, an immigration story. They asked students to go and to interview their parents about when they arrived to this country. Of course, while this was sort of extremely engaging for students, the task or the assignment was really anchored in reading model texts so that students were actually reading stories by individuals who had written their own immigration story. The assignment was sort of aligned to standards, and there was a rubric that really helped guide students and to inform what Emily and Nanor were looking for as students completed this unit on their immigration story. Eliza Jane, do you have examples from your own experience? The student voice team always says that students should be partners in learning and co-creators when it comes to education. One of our, we call them adult allies, she's a teacher in northern Kentucky. Her name is Trisha. And when she starts a new unit with her students, she poses a topic and then asks the students to spend five minutes or so coming up with questions, things that they are curious about, they like to learn more about. And she looks over those questions, and based on those questions, she comes up with a lesson plan. So the students are really driving the subject of the lesson, and students that way are more excited about learning because they're really answering their own questions. Educators have a responsibility to push students to expand their own horizons. How do we do that while also honoring students' own priorities and interests, including the things that sometimes they don't want to do, like math, for example? First, it's really important for teachers to create some buy-in. 
some of the ways I've worked with individuals who are learning to become teachers in the Boston Teacher Residency Program was around the beginning of a research paper when these uh, novice teachers framed, today we're going to begin a unit, we're going to write this research paper, there was some natural pushback where students said, well, why do we have to do a research paper? And so one of the ways was to help reframe the discussion to sort of think about the skills that one might acquire while writing a research paper. If one were deciding between buying a Samsung and an iPhone, that you had to do some research, you had to evaluate the benefits of one phone versus the benefits of another phone and then come to some sort of conclusion. So lots of the work that teachers should do is to help students recognize that the skills that they are, are working on in their classroom transfer to skills that they will need in order to become an engaged and productive citizen. Michelle, I wanted to piggyback on that because I think it is about those real-world experiences that students need to see the connections and feel that what they're doing in class has real application. Just a few months ago, we had a group of students. These were young men of color from our high schools that came together, and we asked them the question, what can teachers do? And I'm just going to share a little bit of a quote that resonated with me around what we can do so that students can become partners in the learning. He said, teachers need to teach students how to be critical thinkers in terms of their lives. I know a lot of my friends, they would go to class and not see the importance of what they were learning. If kids were able to see real-world applications and get a view outside of what school is, just trying to teach them, it would benefit and promote them. If they're seeing how they can build their lives, they will be more driven to learn. Obviously, all of this also hinges on the standards and the rigor around what students are being asked to do. So you can't give that up, but at the same time as you're challenging them, you're also trying to have them understand that by doing the tasks, by doing the research paper, by engaging in that kind of learning, that they are actually going to learn something that they will be able to apply that will also prepare them for future careers. I want to follow up on all of that from a student's perspective. I just came back from Philadelphia where Student Voice launched our national tour, and we had a group of students representing a little over a half dozen schools from all across Philadelphia. There were a lot of great moments and conversation that we had throughout the day, but one that I think had pretty much unanimous agreement amongst the students is when a student said, you know, in school, we, we learn things like the Pythagorean theorem, and we never really understand why we're learning that. We never understand its purpose. And the student said, I just want to learn things that feel like they're relevant and applicable to my life. So what role, Travis and Irma, does this notion of student interest, relevance, choice have in the quest for bringing everyone to high levels of learning? How do we convey to students the possibilities of their future and what's needed for that, at the same time giving them the confidence that they can tackle academically rigorous material when often they've never been expected to do that? That's a really important question. Students who feel that they're expected to reach a high bar generally move towards reaching that high bar because they feel that their teachers have confidence in them 
and that the bar has been set because it's achievable. Oftentimes, unfortunately, what we encounter are low bars being set because there are low expectations for students, and specifically uh, for students of color. So the first piece goes back to culture, that the high standard has been set, and that everyone in the school, teachers, principal, parents, students, all understand what the high bar is and the importance of reaching those high expectations. What are the exemplars? What are the examples? What are the models that students can have where they feel that they can achieve? It's writing a paper and learning how to do it correctly, eventually reaching the point where they've written an exemplary paper and knowing that now they're able to continue doing research papers because they've learned the mechanics of it, the research end of it, and now it's more about the rigor around their thinking and around the positions that they're taking. I think it's around immersing them in the work, but making sure that they're successful along the way. Also having teachers feel more like mentors for students. I think it's a combination. We want them to achieve and we want them to be able to reach those high standards, but it's also around the support systems that you create in a school that get students to the level that they want to grow to also. Going back to Irma's point about expectations, I want to directly quote something that a student said to me today. She said, people who take regular classes and those who take AP classes need to be valued the same because we are all people. And the fact that a student felt as if because he or she took regular classes was not valued as much as an AP student. Think about the expectations that you're setting for those students. I see that a lot in my high school. Some teachers tone down the level of their teaching for the non-advanced classes, even for advanced versus AP classes. I've heard a lot of kids say or express discontent with that. They feel like they're being treated like they're stupid. But I have had one teacher, she taught AP calculus. She has extremely high expectations and she ensures that her students live up to those expectations. She puts in as much work as she expects her students to put in to her class. And I think that's also very important important to see that your teacher is 100% committed to your success and expects you to reciprocate that commitment. Um, She has a 100% pass rate. I think she had only two students who didn't get fives last year. I absolutely agree. I think high expectations are essential. In addition to having high expectations, teachers also need opportunities to grow, opportunities to improve their craft so that when they enter classrooms, when students come in at varying skill levels, that those teachers can lean on the expertise or the skills that they have developed in some sort of preparation program to respond to the varying skill levels. I would definitely agree with you because I think the other part to this is how do teachers engage in an inquiry process constantly? So the way that they learn about how good a teacher they are is by looking at whether students are learning or not. And so really looking at assessments and looking at students who aren't learning and then saying, well, what do I need to do differently so that I can support the student? Travis, you have a lot of experience working with urban teachers of color. What role can they play in affirming and building students' identities as learners, particularly when so many aspects of our society 
are sending kids the opposite message. This is an important question. I think that teachers of color have a role to play. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that teachers of color represent less than 20% of the teaching workforce. So the role that teachers of color can play is in many ways the same role that white teachers can play in thinking about how to affirm and build students' identities. And I think that one key way is to turn to parents. Parents know a great deal about their children. Parents are, in many ways, students' first teachers. It's essential that as teachers think about how they design the conditions for learning in their classroom, they turn to their students' parents to understand how they might design some of these conditions for learning. This tension between high expectations, academic rigor, how do you both engage the student through their interest and relevance and also make sure that we are not dumbing down, as Eliza Jane said? Getting to know the students and their interests to kick off the year or kick off the class, the semester, whatever it may be, is a great way of then being able to, throughout the semester, tie in what the student is learning to what they might be experiencing outside of the classroom. It also shows the student that you understand where they're coming from and who they are and what they want to learn and what they may want to do with their lives. And then, of course, hopefully the student will take the opportunity to get to know you and your teaching style as well. But it's about forming that relationship. Travis, can you comment? It's important first for teachers to clearly have identified learning goals and learning objectives, and then be mindful that there are many ways in which uh, students can reach those objectives. So for one teacher that I worked with in Boston who said that students were disengaged because students were always talking about video games, Clearly, students had the capacity to be interested in something. And so it was not necessarily the case that students were disengaged with life, but they were disengaged with the ways in which the teacher was designing and implementing the content. And so the work with this teacher was to think about how she might take students' interests and align them to the learning objectives that she had set. And so once the teacher allowed students to write about these video games and talk about how these characters changed over time, the teacher talked about the students becoming interested um, and engaged with the text. Irma, how do you set high expectations for students to engage them in material or subjects in which they are struggling. I think the role of the teacher in that process is really important. One, that the teacher has confidence in the students and exhibits the belief in that student. And that the teacher is able to scaffold instruction so that the student can have early wins and sort of achieve, build that resilience. At the same time, the teacher needs to be very much aware of student interests and how to sort of bring the student along, perhaps in a subject area that they're not interested in, but how does the teacher, by knowing the student well, capture that student's either imagination, interest, and get the student excited? But it's also about how do they scaffold the learning so that the student doesn't see it as something that's very, very, very difficult and they're not going to be able to achieve it. How do they see achievable steps and how it's broken down for them so that in the end they feel that they can accomplish the task and that they feel more engaged in the process of of their learning. I think the Common Core is a place to begin 
as a former English teacher and as someone who has trained English teachers, the quote-unquote canon, these texts endure because the stories in these texts are still relevant in the lives of our children. There's another example of students at a 12th grade at a sort of quote-unquote underperforming school in Boston. The students were reading Macbeth and the students, all of whom were of color, the teacher said, this is a text by an old dead white guy. How do I get these students who couldn't be quote-unquote more different than Shakespeare to engage around this text. And so the work with this teacher was to understand the sort of the main story in Shakespeare's play Macbeth. And so we looked at the idea of being able to control one's fate. Macbeth hears this prophecy that he's going to sort of become king, and he's trying to think about, well, how is he going to become king? Because, you know, right now he's just a general. And so, are prophecies real? Do we have some capacity to sort of control our own fate? And so, once teachers reimagine and redesign their curriculum to sort of focus on this idea of, can we control our own fate? Yes, we might live in Dorchester and Roxbury, and the statistics say that people who live in Dorchester and Roxbury are ensnared in this cycle of violence, can we still control our own fate? And students talked about having to think about breaking this prophecy and these cycles and then applying it to Shakespeare became a really engaging way for them to sort of critically analyze the text and also become sort of very interested and engaged with the material because it was sort of responding to their everyday lived experiences. Terrific. We believe that the voices of students should inform every aspect of the high school experience, from participation in decisions that affect their schools and communities to the overall design of high school. Zach, can you tell us more about the Student Bill of Rights? The Student Bill of Rights was constructed after a year or two of traveling the country and meeting with students and understanding what their experiences are in their education and what they really want out of their education. These 12 rights are really a set of 12 qualitative standards that we believe every student should experience in their education. Students are always held accountable for their own learning. We want to help students hold education accountable to them. So, you know, when it comes to uh, student agency engagement and voice. There are so many rights that are really relevant here, but in particular, institutional agency, which is really the right for students to be a part of every conversation that is had around designing their own learning experiences. You look at civic engagement, uh, free expression, even due process. Students aren't aware of the rights that they have in their own school when it comes to school discipline. So really, this Bill of Rights is meant to help students understand what they should be experiencing and expecting out of their education. Eliza Jane, as a leader in student voice, could you explain your role with the Pritchard Committee? So I am the school governance chair of the Pritchard Committee student voice team. The student voice team is an initiative of the Pritchard Committee, which is an education activist organization, and the student voice team is there to involve students in that work. The mission of the school governance committee is to integrate students as full partners in the decision-making bodies of Kentucky schools. Last year, we led an effort to push for and advocate for a bill in the Kentucky State Legislature uh, that would allow students to serve on superintendent screening committees. We were ultimately not successful. We did raise a lot of awareness around student voice in Kentucky and really sparked the movement in our state. 
This year, we've taken a step back. We're not doing anything related to students and school governance in the legislature, but we have done a lot of research. We sent out a survey to every principal and superintendent in Kentucky, asking them if there was a student serving on their school governance body. Um, If not, if they'd be willing to add a student member, and if there were any other student voice programs in their school or district. And the numbers have come in. 9% of school districts have a student on the school board. Um, And of those that don't, 46% would be willing to add a student member. 8% of school councils currently have a student member. And 53% would be open to adding a student member. Irma, as I was listening to these examples, I was thinking, respect is critical. How do adults do more than sit at the table and listen respectfully to students? How should educators respond to feedback from students? There are so many different ways that we can engage students. It's just a matter of really having the will uh, to do that and then knowing how that's going to really help you become a better leader and better teacher when you do it. So being able to respond to concerns, being able to do it on a timely basis, being able to actually even write letters to students and saying, thank you, you know, we've done this survey, this is what we heard, this is what we're doing to change this situation. And then trying to develop more and more opportunities where students can engage in different ways, whether it's to be able to talk about course offerings or whether it's to be able to make decisions around maybe materials that are going to be purchased, uh, the budget, how the budget is going to be used. Travis, um, what's your sense of how teachers are thinking about these issues? Is feedback from students to be welcomed. I think that it's important to understand that in a democracy, uh, democracies work best when we have the voices of the people who are in it. And so I think that in schools and as well in classrooms, teachers should welcome the idea of, of listening to students' voices. It can become threatening. Teachers receive lots of criticisms clearly from outside of the classroom, but but also when they might be receiving this criticism from students, it might well be challenging. I think that one way to organize schools and classrooms to sort of do this is having teachers think about feedback as sort of improving their practice. So, for example, when I was a teacher, one of the things that I would do at the end of each unit, I would give students a sort of like end-of-unit evaluation where they would talk about what worked well in the unit, what did not work well in the unit, what things might they like to see in the following unit. And so that feedback from students really informed the content that I would teach next. Zach and Eliza Jane, how can schools open up opportunities to students to address community problems, community problems in the school community, inventing solutions, contributing to a positive school community life. This goes back to the idea that the school isn't just confined to the four walls around you. It is a community. And what happens in the school is largely affected by what happens outside of the school. And I think when I was a uh, student in high school, we had a staff member at the school who was responsible for helping students to find internships and volunteer opportunities outside of school. You also think of an organization like the Future Project that brings in dream directors into schools and helps students find opportunities to engage in the community beyond. But you don't need all of these programs necessarily to really instill this kind of culture. It's about making sure that your school is open to the community and the students also feel comfortable going out into the community to engage 
oftentimes you'll have communities where students feel as if they have to focus more on their schoolwork and what's happening in school rather than engaging in what's out of school. Yeah, I can definitely see why some students feel they have to focus on their school. Um, they can't focus on extracurricular activities. Um, it's sometimes hard to miss school. I miss a lot of school for the student voice team, which is kind of ironic because I'm doing work around education. I didn't go to school today because I was in Frankfurt meeting with legislators. And at this point, I've established a relationship with my teachers where they understand that that's where I am and there's a reason that I'm missing school. But I think that sometimes students are intimidated by the bureaucracy of it all and are hesitant to do that. Eliza Jane, I think a really interesting point you've just illustrated is that in those kinds of experiences, you are both, quote, missing school, but you're also working on developing informed opinions, weighing evidence, listening to others, taking a stand and taking action, all of which are critical thinking skills that young people need for their futures. To finish, I'd love to hear from each of you advice that you have about how we can design schools that enable student agency and student voice. I'm trying to come up with something really profound, but I think I'm going to go with something really simple, and that is that, you know, when you're designing schools, uh, don't start designing a school without including students in the conversation from the very beginning. I mean, the very, very beginning, not like start the first couple steps and then bring students into the fold. Start with them. And if there are gaps in knowledge that students may have that prevent them from being a part of the conversation, help them learn this is an opportunity opportunity for that to happen. It goes back to what is the kind of environment in the school and the kind of climate throughout the school does everyone, the adults, the students, see themselves as engaged learners, supporting each other, open to feedback, open to improvement. And so it's about what is your idea of school? The fact that we heard Eliza Jane talk about what she was doing and yet she was saying, but I miss school, is such a dichotomy there. It is about what are those experiences that help our young people to grow, to learn, to become proactive, to become leaders. And so how do we develop schools that in essence do that right from the beginning, even from its inception or its thinking about the school itself? Irma, I agree with you. I think Eliza Jane's example is is a really uh, profound one because we often think about school and learning as happening within four walls. And clearly there was learning that was happening outside of those four walls. Walls. And so it's important that as we think about designing schools that enable student agency and student voice, that we think about learning that can happen outside of the four walls and that the people in the building, all of the people, the adults and the um, young people, that all of those groups of people are both students and teachers, that they all have the capacity to teach and learn from one another. Uh, I just want to reiterate that I think it's important that students are full partners in the decision-making bodies of the school and the education system because this is a way for them to learn things like soft skills, resilience, communication, skills that they will need to succeed in the workforce later in life. Uh, It's a way for them to participate in the real world while they're still in school. With that, I'd like to thank our guests for their insights. Thanks for tuning in to our discussion on student agency and engagement. We hope you found some inspiration from our experts. Visit xqsuperschool.org for more information on XQ, the Superschool Project.